Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord Podcast, Episode 1. I'm Tim, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Carrie. Hello. Ryan. Hello. And Hannah. Guten Tag. Together, we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week, we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selections, then we pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. Spoiler alert now. This week's show is Man in the High Castle, Season 1. The opening theme is Edelweiss, performed by Jeanette Olsen. Let's take a listen. creepiest version of Edelweiss I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. Like, it's a beautiful, sweet is song. It, is it? It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't make me feel like it's beautiful. Well, it's from The Sound of Music. Well, is it? I thought it was from, from before then. I thought it was an older song. I think they used it in it. My understanding is it was written for The Sound of Music to sound like okay. an old Austrian folk song, but it's not. The song was first introduced to me was not from Sound of Music. It was from German people singing and getting really maudlin about it. Man in the High Castle is available on Amazon Prime, created by Frank Spotnitz, based on the Philip K. Dick novel of the same name. Uh, executive producers are Ridley Scott and Francis Spotnitz. It stars Alexa Davalos, Rupert Evans, Luke Kleintak, DJ Qualls, Joel De La Fuente, and Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. Did get four Emmy nominations, two wins for Outstanding Cinematography for a Single Camera Series, and Outstanding Main Title Design. It's based upon a dystopian version of the United States had we lost World War II. The Japanese getting everything west of the Rockies and the Nazis getting everything east of the Rockies. The Rockies kind of being a safe zone or a outside of the law zone for most of the country. Our story picks up with the resistance that's taking place both on the East Coast and the West Coast against both the Nazis and the Japanese occupation. And their paths kind of cross and get mixed up. And there are these films that they're trying to find that show, for them, an alternate history of the U.S. winning the war. Our history. It's crazy because that they're watching these films and they're, and they're, they're seeing these, uh, these shots of the GIs in Times Square after winning. And to them, that's absolutely... Bull hockey, like it didn't happen. Or they watch like the D-Day invasion of storming the beaches and taking down the walls. They're seeing this for the first time and the dichotomy there is kind of stunning. I enjoyed watching them watch what actually happened based upon the life that they were living, the, the place that they were living in versus what actually took place. I also really like that film is so central to it. And the very opening sequence to him is watching one of those kind of 1950s, super patriotic film reels with like the news from the world but with a nazi slant very interesting yes absolutely it was very patriotic then you watch a little more of it and it's very patriotic in a nazi way yeah they're pushing bald eagles but they're also pushing the fuhrer and the eagle is an ancient symbol of rome right so with the first right the holy roman empire and then america uses the same symbols so at first you don't quite realize it's off and then they're like Everyone has a job. Everyone knows their place. And you're like, oh. And then they're like, a new day dawns. 
Dawn's on the Reich. And you're like, oh, this is messed up. Oh, no. <laughs> this is my second time watching it. And I, I really enjoyed going through it for the second time. There was a couple things that I that really stood out stark to me. One of them was how dark it actually is. I mean, I watched it with someone else. And, and, they, and they pointed out the fact that when uh, Juliana's sister, spoiler alert, it happens. When Juliana's sister dies in the very first episode, she doesn't really seem all that broken up about it. And I thought about it. I was like, you know, you're kind of right. Wouldn't you be like crying all night and just losing your mind? But she's living in a very stern, very dark place. She's not living in the same place that we live here as That's Americans. That's part of the horror too, is that she it can't is. be upset about it because if she's upset about it, she's upset about what the state did. And the state is always right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a totally different world. It struck me as odd that but then I thought about it, that the place where they live is, is so controlled, so already dark that you don't get a chance to really to mourn. You're not allowed to mourn an enemy of the state. It's all very controlled and regimented. And the values in San Francisco of the Japanese are very pushed and non-negotiable. Whereas in the other side with the Germany, it's both. With German being more important than, but then there's other horrors that go along with it. But because it's more of a white society, I don't know, that may be the wrong word. The German sort of culture and sensibility integrated easier for the white American characters in the show because they came along and won the war and then they were like oh you're Aryan you're the master race and and then they were like oh okay okay yeah all right this isn't so different whereas on the west coast they kind of have the conflict of the other coming the other has taken control so suddenly all of the white people are minorities and have to deal with being ostracized and being repressed and dealing with the anger that comes with that. And I found it interesting that in a lot of the ways that it expresses themselves, like you see this with Juliana's mom talking positively about the Nazis. Like, well, when the Nazis come and do the Holocaust against these Japanese, like they did with those awful Jews, then, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. There's people in the Ukraine who were happy to see the Nazis arrive to throw the Russians out. Yeah. Because they present themselves as liberators. And then once they get there, of course, they realize the devil's deal that they've done. But yeah. that has some historical precedent. I also like her a mother of kind of has a, a push and pull relationship with Japanese. I'm glad that you that you guys said it the way you said it, because I was very curious to, to hear of the three of you, which society would you prefer to live in? Would you rather be West Coast or would you rather live on the East Coast based upon what you saw about how everything works? For me, anyway, mm. I would rather be I'd rather be on the West Coast. I, I, I don't know why, but I just feel like I would be more comfortable in that society. I mean, either one's a loss, but for me, I would much rather be west of the Rockies. And I'm, not, I'm just curious which one you guys would choose. I think people's natural answer is going to be that they would want to live in the neutral zone and fight. And I think that that is kind of bullshit. Yeah. If people think they will right, stand right. up and fight all well, the guns in your fascism face fascism come yeah. and, you know, the invaders come. But this is 20 years after the fight is over. Mm-hmm. It's the new normal in a way that the most horrific things are. They mentioned that in the, in the series, like kind of that's this is the way it is. This is where we live now. That the, the war is twenty years old. Like they mentioned the camps in the Midwest and the things they had to do, and they talk about it like it's nothing. Yeah, you know that they've just swept it out of their mind. It's a generation gone. Already. Well, and I think uh, that I had to take part in that and whatever the character that Frank meets. He's a underground practicing Jew, and he was talking. About about oh, the that scene was rips your heart out 
Yes, that was a fantastic scene. Kind of related to that. The one where his sister and her family get taken to the room and have so you know, no, she's going to be gassed with her children. Horrible. And that feeling where she's trying to comfort them. Yes. Yes. With the Zyklon B. The long delay when they're in that room and there's the doors closed and you just hear all these clicking sounds. I, I Yeah. Oh, it made my stomach turn. And then like at the funeral, he meets the person and they give kind of a code to each other. Like at the funeral, he tells him to light, which is Lahayim, right? But he mm-hmm. says it in English because obviously mm-hmm. they can't say that. He can't. He can't speak Hebrew. Oh my God, I did not even catch that. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I didn't... That sounds familiar. I think my grandfather used to say, it. it's like you see bumper stickers for Christians, right? And they have that little fish on it. That fish uh-huh. is a symbol that they use when the Romans would kill Christians. You'd meet somebody on the road and you'd trace half the little fish symbol with your foot, right? Which if the other person yeah. doesn't know what it is, doesn't look like anything. And then they complete the symbol and you know... Then you have a connection. Oh, that's fantastic. And also within, you know, after the... Uh... Well, the big split between the Catholic Church and then the various forms of Protestantism. And then this form of Protestantism was okay, but this one's illegal. So you see, if you pay attention to a lot of the church signs on Christian churches, you can see little symbols and stuff. And that was how they communicated like, oh, I'm a Presbyterian or, oh, I'm a Baptist. Right. There's a long history of cryptic, hey, I'm a this. And yeah. only somebody in the in-group would recognize that. And it also happened within uh, Spain after the Reconquista. The biggest deal with the Spanish Inquisition was they were hunting down Jews and burning them at the stake and just butchering all of these hidden Muslims and Jews within the society. And so they had the Spanish Jews who did remain, had their own little signs and, and practiced in secret much the same way that they kind of, <laughs> the Jews always kind have ended up practicing question about uh where <laughs> where you would rather end up um i guess i would rather end up in on the west coast because i would have been killed because my dad is jewish <laughs> the japanese have adopted the same law i feel like the japanese are saying we're like we're, we're more reasonable i mean they, they were very strict but also relatively reasonable you could follow their laws it wasn't just oh my god your parents are this you're gonna die the sense i got from the west coast is you're all inferior how you sort yourself in your inferiority doesn't really matter to us like if we find you yeah. and in order to keep peace we have to kill you who cares but we're not going to actively look for you. You're all just lesser. They don't really address the historical atrocities that the Japanese committed against other Asian groups during our version of World War II. They call it the Rape of Nanking for a reason. In The Man in the High Castle, the book, they talk about, I read the book, I read it, it's one of my favorites, actually, so I'm, tr- I'm not going to be like, in the book it was this way, <laughs> but interestingly enough, Texas becomes the concentration camp for the United States huh. to punish the Texans. So basically the Texans, uh, I think they kind of mention offhandedly at one point in the book that the Texans sort of held out for the longest against both sides. <laughs> Not going to have a seventh flag. Remember the Alamo. Yeah. yeah, remember the Alamo. Oh, we replaced the Alamo with a concentration camp. But they do mention they pretty much exterminated the entire continent of Africa and also nuked it. And then the Japanese had concentration camps in in China. I am sorry they didn't touch on that in the, in the show because that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I do wish that they had touched on that. And maybe they will in the, in the second season. Yeah, in the show they said that they enslaved Africa. I did want to make a point of discussing the, the John 
Smith angle with his son because that yes. struck me as a parent. That struck me as as something that really cut deep into my soul. I I felt that even though you want to hate John Smith for a lot of periods in the show, when that happened, I felt a lot of empathy. I actually I wanted to feel for him, and I already hated mm-hmm. him, so it was hard to feel empathy. But as a parent, you can't not. So I I'm just curious how you guys felt about that. John Smith when he finds out his son has Lou Gehrig's disease. I mean, they don't call it Lou Gehrig's disease because Lou Gehrig's dead. They call it something else. Right, right. And the doctor gives him oh, that little suicide kit. I, I can't really say my full opinion because it's colored by the second season a lot. Ah. You knew when he said that he was getting sick that it was coming because uh, they were also getting rid of anybody that wasn't, you know, perfect or not of good. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going to sound horrible. Breeding stock, basically. No, no, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. yeah. It sounds horrible because you're accurately describing what they do. They were doing eugenics. Yeah. There's a scene in the very first episode where the guy has they has his blowout and the tires flat and cop stops to help him and he's like uh, what's what's this stuff falling out of the sky is, is it snowing and he's like oh no no that's the hospital they're burning all the cripples and the uh, yeah less than perfect and the guy was just I think that he didn't even know which makes me wonder you know if they're trying to like give you the idea that maybe the people who even live in that place don't even know exactly what the government is doing which have more of a sanitized view yeah well people who live near concentration camps in like Poland said that they didn't know what was going on now whether that's true or just trying to excuse yourself i don't know but it's very clear that information doesn't flow freely as we would expect it to there was only word of mouth and asking questions is the absolute most dangerous true thing you can do so maybe they maybe they knew it was there but they didn't know they didn't really know what they were doing it was easier for people to accept exterminating the other it was easier for people to be like well, you know, the Jews, you know, that's not me. Um, But then when it's old people, you know, disabled people, you know, your cousin with a limp, your your aunt who has bipolar disorder, your sister with autism, then it becomes like, oh, this is really not okay. So what they probably had to do in order to successfully maintain order in the society was color it as like, oh, we're, we're euthanizing people and they don't have to suffer and but that's exactly what the kid's mother says when they're i mean not because she doesn't know it's her son but she says it's a mercy yeah that they don't have to suffer and it's better this way and they don't understand just the quantity of people that they exist side by side with who do have disabilities when you can put a spin on something so harshly that a mother thanks you for killing her child that's just mind-boggling but i mean you know it it was their plan from the get-go and they did a pretty good job of portraying it in this series i really wanted Obergruppenführer john smith to kind of have like a turning point and go oh man yeah you know what this is fucked up (laughs) and be like hitler's bad (laughs) y'all How is it gonna happen? Yeah, obviously not. They have that conversation with the guy who's pretending to be the Swedish trade representative. Yeah, right, that they worked at the camps together. So if he could see that, that was tense that right there. Yeah, fine with that. What's gonna make him turn? Well, he could see that and do that and be fine with that. And then all of a sudden, it's his kid, and he's like, "Oh, this might be wrong." <laughs> you know, like uh, on one hand, like I really wanted him to change, but then he seems like he's on the path of just maintaining that status quo and not actually challenging yes absolutely so i don't know maybe second season he he has an identity crisis and 
a change of heart and everything. I can't help but compare it to the book, but I really, really enjoyed this adaptation, especially for they emphasize the Nazi side of things. The book really focuses on um, what happens in the neutral zone and what happens on the West Coast. Dick doesn't touch on as much how the East Coast is affected. They really built the society. Like you felt, I felt like I could see living in that place. And then yeah. that was character development. And more importantly, the, uh, the development of the land that they live in is, mm-hmm. is almost as important to me as uh, rampant nudity. They didn't have that, but they did have the first two and they did a really fucking good job. I was really impressed by the way that they made me believe that those characters were stuck in, in these terrible situations and just doing the best they could to live inside of them. I liked how the world felt familiar but still had twists to it. Yes. Small little things. Like, I mean, the big strokes, like there are giant swastikas on everything, but just the small things, like when they stop and get right. a drink and they get the bottles, it's not Coca-Cola, it's Fanta, which is basically Nazi coke. <laughs> During World War II, Germany got cut off from its regular supplies <laughs> and had to make their fruit so flavor drinks, which is Fanta. So it makes sense that that is, you know, what everyone drinks. And like when they talk about baseball, lazy yeah. sport, and that soccer is, you know, the real sport, you know, which is interesting to see Americans say yep. or when they pull up in their cars mm-hmm. which are the little compact Japanese cars but have the big giant fins on them that's interesting just little things like that where you can yeah. see society twisted a little bit they're in this ranch style 50s you know mid-century home with the cardigan and of course they have their Nazi pin but then they lean out the door when they see their neighbor and go how Hitler that felt like a 1950s sitcom to me like howdy or they had like the Japanese dragon. Hitler do just checking the mail. Hi, Hitler. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no problem. Oh, my goodness. Can we talk about Juliana Crane's Aikido? I was so happy. That was like the best moment of the entire series. That one moment with her and her Aikido throw. I was so happy. Oh, my God. Yes. I jumped off the bed. Like, the second time, I was still so happy. Yes. Yes. You wait for it. You hope for it. And it happens. And that I loved it. In the book, her big moment is she gets into a, a fight with Joe Blake, who's not as well fleshed out. He's not a point of view character in the book, which I love that he's an actual character. And she she slits his throat at the end of the confrontation. And so Whoa. he's holding his throat together in the book. And she's like, uh, gonna go see the man in the high castle now. Bye. And just leaves him there. And he's just kind of like, what? Oh, shit. You know? In the book, she's always kind of just like accidentally doing things and stumbling into things. She's not really making decisions. She was very deliberate in this. She's very deliberate. She decides to pick up the reins of what her sister was doing. And Alexa Davala, she played a fantastic character. Yes. I think that she was probably the best character in in the series, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. I, I enjoyed her, and I'm actually looking forward to season two. I stopped myself when we talked about last week. I stopped myself from watching season two because I wanted to go watch it again so that I could catch up and then watch season two but i think that she plays a fantastic i character. liked her a lot very well written i really enjoyed the actor who played frank who i did not like the character at the beginning until he gets kind of captured and then undergoes a change to his character and i found that to be very interesting yeah i feel like he was kind of uh, very timid and he finally exactly. like grows a set and when he did that i had mad respect for him i thank god you finally frank jesus yeah. christ he grows Come a on, set man. and then well, well, did you find it timid that he he didn't end up shooting the prince or... 
No, absolutely. no, because I think I mean he has the realization that they're the same and that not everyone is responsible, sort of. So it's like a different yes, part. Yeah. I mean the show twists it and turns it, so it doesn't really matter because he had mm-hmm. shot anyway. I didn't think that was a cop out for him. I was satisfied with no, that. No, no, not at all. I think that's very good character development. He kind of gets thrown into a very bad situation and it actually gets worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. for him. But mm-hmm. as it gets worse, I feel like he grows as a person. Yes. And the way he played the character, the way the character was played was fantastic. I enjoyed watching him grow into a man. It's like watching your kid grow up. Good good for you. Good for you, Frank. <laughs> good, Frank. good for you, Frank. Yeah. Yay. I wanted I wanted to give him a hug. I think identity development is just a really huge it's kind of a thread that runs throughout this story. And I think the writers did an excellent job with kind of realistically portraying sort of all of the phases you shift through because you go from not really thinking about things and I think Robert Childen is a really good example of that where you just kind of accept what the outer society tells about you and he's like oh yes the Japanese are so much more superior and it's so good that the the Germans uh, exterminated the Jews and um, Betty and her husband are sitting there like wanting to listen to jazz and he's like oh I don't listen to Negro music and they're like (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know because they're kind of in the immersion sort of stage of like understanding that that being different from their culture is okay and is acceptable to them whereas most of the people even around them aren't like that and Robert Children certainly isn't and I think they thought that they saw him as a kindred spirit and then when he came in there um, with that just not accepting. I think they wanted him to be like a bridge between the two and explain things to them but he was so almost like devoted to their idea that he couldn't see his own culture. Yeah, he couldn't see his own culture. He couldn't see other people's own culture. And then when like when he has his big moment of that cognitive dissonance and whether to conform or to be dissonant, he goes into that sort of a stage of the white slash majority identity development of just rejecting everything else and putting his own culture on a pedestal and, and putting everything else down, which is a really interesting and, and I think very real realistic reaction to someone like that he doesn't do a lot of soul searching he just sort of reacts seems like his growth is driven by spite not an ideological this is wrong but this was personally wrong to me therefore like a petulant so it's just kind of interesting how it the interplay between minority identity development and white identity development sort of overlaps each other in in the west so i I found that an especially fascinating part of uh, the show from my psychology trained background i was like oh yeah yeah marcia and cross and atkinson you know so that's me nerding well how do you guys feel about the ending so okay total spoiler very last scene are you talking about the the meditation at the end that kind of shifts him into the alternate reality yes yes Ah. togomi's alternate reality where he comes into our reality. I think it was interesting. I haven't watched season two yet, but I found it really interesting that the idea through sort of meditation and maybe spiritual awareness, whatever you want to call it, that he can force himself into another reality. That's very interesting. And then that look when he's kind of standing there and looking around just amazed or maybe even slightly horrified at the same time at this completely different world. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't think he was horrified. I think he was very curious 
about what was before him because here's what he's you know he's used to seeing his culture in America and the rising sun plastered all over the place and here's this totally different what happened where to go I think that's more curiosity than fear or horror or whatever you want to call it I think he has more compassion for the Americans I felt like they did a good job of, for me anyway they made it, they did a really good job of making me want to see what was to come just not confusing enough just just brief enough to make me wonder where they were going to go with it but yeah also frustrated i just i always want to know you know what's what's going to happen and they didn't give you a whole lot they didn't give you a lot to yeah, go with i wanted more i wanted them to kind of talk about the i ching the book of changes a little bit more i think that that would have prepped us a little bit more because when he's like regarding the necklace he's actually feeling the pull of our world he kind of interacts with the world and and gets certain feelings about things and is seeking the truth and so there's a truth in juliana's necklace the damn necklace yeah right i think that that's one kind of quibble i have with the adaptation is he has these lingering moments with this necklace and you're not exactly sure what that's about i don't think they explained it as well they didn't but you kind of catch on to it like maybe that's that's his connection that's his um i'm looking for the word like anchor point yes thank you that's exactly what yeah. I was about. That's his anchor point i didn't catch it until the very end and but it, that's his anchor point mm-hmm. and that's, that's his connection to like the movies are the man in the high castles connection even though i'm not even sure yet. i haven't met him yet but i I'm, I'm guessing that's how it works you know that there's some sort of anchor point works but i mean i'm trying to think of a book that i read that, that it wasn't a, it was inception what was, what was the name of the little uh the little things they totem. had yes that's their totems that was their totems yeah. that was that, that everyone has their their little piece that connects it's, them to i mean he had that necklace for almost the entire and has been meditating on it constantly you know something he's like attuning himself to it because frank made it and it was made with love right it also doesn't serve the state in any way and is not functional right like it's not a utilitarian fascist thing yeah. First two, maybe three episodes, Frank actually mentions he, he's trying to make things that are not weapons and they are not, mm-hmm. he's trying to make jewelry and he keeps getting shot down because the Japanese are not interested in that. They don't care about art. They don't care about American art. Unless it connects to war or unless it connects to battle. Yeah. Historicity. Right. The function of art is to glorify the Aryan race and the right. His art is inherent kind of rebellious, right? Because you look at the world, you're not satisfied with, and you create something to fix that or fill that hole, which implies the world is imperfect. So it's, in my opinion, anyway, inherently anti-state and rebellious. I was thinking about the name of the man in the high castle, right? That when we're talking about the end scene, when you get to Hitler in his Mm -hmm. high castle out in the Austrian Mm -hmm. Alps, and I'm like, this has an interesting kind of double meaning there. Hitler is the man, a man, a man in the high high castle. And then there's this mysterious man in the high castle who, who, who creates may very well be at the same time. You know, who knows? I could see that. Well, they they definitely have a connection. Lots of questions. Good shows answer questions and ask questions. Yes. And they keep you wanting more. This one did, actually, mm-hmm. this one did a very good job of. I'm I'm very curious to see what happens in season two, and that means that I I must have enjoyed it, right? Yep. Oh hey, Michael Hogan had a little had a little role. Shout out to Battlestar Galactica. I noticed that when I was looking at the the cast. I was like, what? <laughs> so if you remember that show, keep a, keep an eye out. It's like an Easter egg. I mean, I'm not a big Battlestar Galactica fan, 
but other people are. Original Battlestar or new Battlestar? New Battlestar. So, rating. Yes, rating. I, As you guys know, I'm a fan. I was able to somehow sway your fantastic minds into choosing this for the first week. So, I have to, of course, and I genuinely do give this five big fat sick hiles. Jeez. <laughs> I will give it four and a half Fantas, the Nazi Coke. <laughs> I'm gonna give it four and a half Aikido flips. I'm gonna give it five Grasshoppers Lie Heavy mm, films. Fantastic. So yeah, this is a fantastic show. Go check it out. You must. You must. Well, like we said, we we do it all over again. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Every week. <laughs> We each bring a show to consider watching. <laughs> we each vote for a show, and we cannot vote for our own show. Boom, boom. The show with the most votes is our next show to play and review. <laughs> we were talking about how we missed your musical accompaniment for the Broke Gaming episode, Hannah. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, so on a side note, have you guys seen the fucking Lego version of uh, Ferris Bueller? It's fantastic. Someone built the whole scene where the Ferrari comes out of the back. Oh my fucking god, I was so impressed by that. I'll have to go check that out. I really want to watch Sneaky Pete. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi is a fantastic actor. He's playing a con man, and I'm big into con man movies. I think it looks so fun, so funny. And I love the idea of people playing on other people's naivety. I, I just enjoy watching smart people make fun of stupid people. And that's terrible, but it's true. <laughs> so that's my throw-in for the week. And that's on Amazon? Yes, it is. Amazon. So the one I'm going to present is The Crown which is on Netflix and has won like every award, (laughs) tons of golden globes and looks fantastic. So it's basically the life story of Queen Elizabeth II, her early years, who, I mean, her life is spanning all the important events of the 20th century and into our current century. It's a lifetime of power and responsibility. And it just, that looks pretty amazing. Yes. That, that head, that crown weighs heavy of course to me it looks really interesting (laughs) it looks very very good i like those kind of british period things it's supposed to be fantastic i mean the acting is supposed to be great directing art direction the whole thing looks like it's going to be fantastic and i think we should check it out it's visually very lush it's very pretty apparently they they film it in grander rooms than they actually do have in buckingham palace (laughs) (laughs) i need to make this look like what you think a palace looks like Yes, yes. How do you overkill Buckingham Palace? <laughs> it doesn't look like a Disney set. Remember, mind you, this was post-World War II. The crown is ever so slightly in decline. Her father, King George, was able to kind of stop it from free-falling after the abdication of her uncle to be with a divorcee. So she, that that really lies heavy on An American, on her. no less. An American, twice-divorcee woman. Scandalous. Total scandal, scandal. And so she's constantly trying to save the monarchy and save her crown from being taken from her, essentially. But not in a cool Elizabeth I way with a sword and and golden armor. She has to do it with poise and duty and a stiff upper lip. Yes, yes. It's very good. Good show. <laughs> good show. Good show. Good show. Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events. The Wacky Adventures of Orphan Siblings. It looks fantastic. How wacky are we talking here? 
I didn't. I didn't read the series. I saw the movie with Jim Carrey in it. So you gotta. You gotta I haven't sell read me the it. series, and I haven't seen the movie. You gotta sell me on this. It's got Neil Patrick Harris in it as somebody. I yeah. think that's enough to sell me. Yeah. Neil NPH. Patrick Harris is going okay. to murder this thing. I swear to God, I'm so excited. So, Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events, or series, or simply a series of unfortunate events. It's going to be an American television series on Netflix cast is uh, Count Olaf as Neil Patrick Harris, and the voice of Sonny is Tara Strong. Oh, Tara Strong. Okay. Joan Cusack. Really? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Is Justice Strauss. Oh. Catherine O'Hara is in it. Don Johnson. Well, it's like the who's who of 80s. Will Arnett. Reese Darby. Well, that's, yeah, that's a pretty cool cast. An impressive cast, yes, absolutely. It starts off with a fire that destroys the children's home, kills their parents, Honestly, other than it looks really good. I don't either, but I I enjoy the hell out of the movie, and I know the books books are well-loved. It looks really cute. Everyone I've seen is losing their mind over it, how awesome it is. I I feel like we have to. I feel like we have to. Well, I want to nominate one day at a time. Oh, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. We got into that online. Everybody I know is losing their mind over it. All of my uh, Latina and Latino friends are are just watching this show and it's like, it's my life and it's on television. Um, and I've been, it's like a breath of fresh air. Like I was kind of watching this show and splitting my time between this show and man in the high castle because man in the high castle is so dark i can tell you might need a power my job are really dark so sometimes i really did not want to go home and and watch the holocaust (laughs) so definitely a great palate cleanser i've seen like about a fourth of it and it's it's really really funny and and touching it's everything that a sitcom is is supposed to be so we we got to watch this one, guys. I've heard differing opinions, but you actually make it sound like I really want to watch that. Yeah. I have a differing opinion, too. But if we ever review it, you'll get to hear them. Good. Okay. Like, I want to hear it. <laughs> I feel like, Brian, I feel like we're going to get there somehow, some way. We're going to get there. We get there. Yeah. Dream the impossible dream. I'm definitely voting for a series of unfortunate events. I will also vote for a series of un- unfortunate yeah. events. Yes, absolutely. Lemony Snicket is my man. I'll vote for one day at a time. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I would vote for the crown then. <laughs> and we have All a winner. Right, two votes. Ding, 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 ding. A series of unfortunate events. That's our next one. So, that was Man in the High Castle. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts, Four Color Nerds Comic Books Reviews, and Broke Gaming at fourcolornerds.com at our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming nerd.